Uh, we are in the middle of a series called Barbie and Ken and the Fate of the Human Race, which is a huge, huge title, and it has deep, deep implications. We're talking about relationships, um, all sorts of relationships, and we've talked about all sorts of things, uh, becoming the right person instead of trying to find the right person. Uh, we're going to talk, yeah, absolutely, that's a good one. Um, we're going to talk about all sorts of other things. We're going to get into like the nitty gritty of some stuff as we go. We're going to talk about sex in the coming weeks and um, all sorts of interesting things. Tonight, we are going to explore the idea of conflict and tension. Now, let me preface it by saying this. I am not a relationship expert. I'm not a counselor uh, I, I'm not some sort of like marriage or dating guru by any means. In fact, there are probably those of some people in this room who are far more qualified than me to talk about the step-by-step kind of practical ways in which we might best resolve conflicts and uh, undo tensions in our relationships, whether we are married or engaged or dating or single, wherever we are in, on that spectrum. This issue is important and it is crucial because one, conflicts and tension in relationship isn't resigned only to marriage or dating relationships. It's in every relationship. It's in our friendships. It's with our family. It's with one another here. It's in our workplace and at our schools. It's with passersby and strangers and acquaintances. Conflict and tension happens all over the place. And the reality is this matters particularly and specifically in this series, Barbie and Ken and the Fate of the Human Race, because conflict and tension might exist more deeply and uh, more apparently and obviously in marriages and dating relationships than in possibly any other type of relationship. And that makes total sense, right? Because when you're married to somebody, this is someone that you have become completely vulnerable to. You've opened yourself up and said, listen, all I am and all I have is open to you. My life is truly, completely an open book to you. It is the most vulnerable relationship you can have with another person. And if you are engaged, you are well on your way to that place. If you are dating, you are possibly on your way. And even if you are single, the desire of most of your hearts is that at some point in life, you too will share in that sort of vulnerability with another person. And so this is why conflict is so, so crucial and important to discuss and talk about. And so tonight, as I said, I am not a relationship guru or a counselor or a marriage professional. And if you are in need of something like that, man, let us know. We can help get you connected. There are some people in our, in our church, actually, who um, are practicing counselors and, and some other people that we are connected to that we can get you connected to if you need help in a particular area relationally. But tonight, I just want to explore one idea. Rather than going into all the step-by-step how-tos of how to resolve conflict, I want to begin somewhere that I believe is much more foundational than the steps to resolving conflict. 
I believe that we can have all the tools and all the know-how of how to resolve conflict, but if we do not begin in the one place that we will explore tonight, then none of it matters. There are these guys on YouTube, these British guys, and some of you guys have seen them. They're called the, they have this channel called the, slow, they're called the Slow-Mo Guys, and these, they have these like amazing cameras, and they just blow things up and film it in slow motion. It's really stupid and pointless, but you can get lost spending hours of your day. Maybe you can't, but I can, right? Hours of your day watching things blow up in slow motion. And there was a video they posted. I want to show you a small clip of that video that I think illustrates for us exactly what I am talking about when it comes to conflict and tension and where our starting point must be. All right, so take like 45 seconds and uh, watch this video. Never has a watermelon looked more disgusting, right? Like, you love watermelons, and then you watch that video, and you're like, watermelons are gross. (laughs) I'm never eating one again. These guys heard that if you took enough rubber bands, just little rubber bands, and put them around a watermelon, enough rubber bands, the watermelon would eventually explode. They just heard or read that somewhere online. They're like, well, let's test it out. And sure enough, if you watch the whole video, it shows them, like it speeds it up, it shows them taking not like industrial strength rubber bands or anything, just normal everyday rubber bands, and just one by one, they just start strapping these rubber bands around this watermelon, just one by one. And you saw how many rubber bands by the end of it they had around the watermelon. And at a certain point, there is a breaking point, right? And you saw as this giant mass of rubber bands began to to break in, contract in on itself, and then you see the watermelon crack. I mean, think about it. This is a watermelon, which is big and heavy and thick skin. And then you're just talking about flimsy little rubber bands. But you put enough tension around the watermelon, and the thing explodes. It bursts, and there is a mess Now here is where I want to go tonight, a very simple idea. If you saw the end of the video, what you may have noticed was that as the rubber bands contract and the the watermelon explodes, the mess that these guys have to clean up afterwards, it's not the rubber bands, it's the watermelon. You guys are like, oh my gosh, tonight's going to be the biggest waste of my life ever. Are you serious? (laughs) It's the most Captain Obvious, right? No, just think about this for a second. If you saw the rubber bands, that once they like came in on themselves, it was like this ball, this rubber band ball, like the kinds kids make, right? 
It was this perfectly circular ball. It just kind of flew off to the side. But what is, what is all over the table and all over the ground, all over the screen? It's the watermelon. It's all the stuff inside the watermelon. This is what happens when there is conflict and tension in our relationships, whether it's with our spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance or friend or family or coworker or classmate. When there is tension, when there is conflict, if there is enough tension and enough conflict, something breaks. But the mess we make is not to be blamed on the tension itself. The mess we make is the stuff inside of us. When there is tension, when there is conflict, when things are made, are just broken and messy and something just gets jacked up in your relationship, the mess that you see before you, it is much easier to point the finger at someone or something else. But the reality is that the mess you see before you is the stuff inside of you and me. My wife and I have been married almost five years. And in the fights that we have had, some of them big, some of them small, in the fights that we have had, particularly the major ones, when things get really messy and really dark, the reality is for me, it'd be much easier to say, well, Jenny, that's your fault. If you would just change this, if you would just change that, if you would just fix this about yourself, if you would just fix that, then our relationship would be perfect. Of course, that'd be much easier for me to say. But the truth is, the mess I see before me, when she and I have tension, conflict in our relationship, that is my mess. That's the fact that I grew up without a dad, so I never had a picture of what a healthy relationship between husband and wife ought to look like. That stuff, some of that comes from my story, the fact that I grew up without siblings and my mom worked three jobs and was never home, and so I never had to share space or stuff, that all I had to ever think about was caring for myself. The mess I see before me Although it would be easy to blame it on a person or a thing or a situation or circumstance, the reality is that conflict and tension, that, that the mess that it creates before me in my marriage, in my relationships with others, that's my mess. It's the stuff that is driven and fueled by my selfishness and my self-centeredness and my ego and my insecurity and my brokenness that is just as much mine as it is theirs. Proverbs chapter 4, the writer says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. So guard it. Everything that comes out Everything you do, your actions, it all comes from inside. Jesus echoes this truth in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, when he says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. See, it's much easier to monitor other people's behavior. 
And this is something we do regularly. We judge, we uh, make assumptions, and we say, man, if this person, if my spouse, or if my fiance, my boyfriend or girlfriend, or my friend or classmate or coworker, or whoever, if they would just change X, Y, and Z, everything would be fine. That comes easy to us. But here's the deal, and this is in your notes. While our tendency is to simply monitor the behavior of our mate, the fate of the human race hinges upon the condition of our own hearts, not simply the behavior of our mate. The fate of the human race hinges upon the condition of our own hearts. Man, judging is easy. Assuming about others is easy. Coming up with a list of things that we would like uh, our partner or our mate or our friend or boyfriend, girlfriend or spouse, whatever, figuring out that list of X, Y's and Z's that we want them to fix and to change, that is easy. Man, if she would just do this, if he would just do that. But the reality is, That simply gives us an excuse to ignore the work that each and every one of us is called to do, the difficult work of searching inside. Recognizing, like the proverb says, that we must guard our hearts because everything we do flows from there. Andy Stanley, Pastor Andy Stanley, says, I love this, he says, pay attention to the tension. And he's talking about the tension in your own heart. Constantly pay attention to the tension. Not just the tension you have with one another, but primarily the tension you and I feel in here. There are a couple of ways that I want to suggest doing this. There are many ways, but I just want to give you a couple of practical things that we might begin doing this week that I believe may help some of us pay attention to the tension inside. One is the daily office. Now, it sounds kind of weird and like, like, what, do you want me to get like an office job? Or I don't understand. What is the daily office? The daily office is an ancient practice of pausing at, at fixed times during the day for just a, a short period of time to recalibrate and recenter ourselves. It involves reading scripture and praying. There's a lectionary involved. You can get all the details online. If you just like Google the daily office, um, you'll find all sorts of things. There are some books that can be really helpful too. But I just want to point you to the general practice and idea of the daily office. Could we set aside daily time to check on ourselves on our souls, what's happening inside. Another practice that I believe is helpful that will help us pay attention to the tension is to check our fuse. Uh, Ryan suggested this this week, and I thought it was so helpful. Check our fuse. It's such a practical, easy, but simple um, simple and easy way to just constantly daily remind ourselves That our concern primarily needs to be this, what is happening in here, paying attention to our own tension. If your fuse is shorter than normal, 
that's an indicator that something may be messed up inside. And this has been so true in my relationship, in my marriage. I know that those days when I just get angry for reasons that like I should not be angry about this, right? Like if you look back on your week or your past 24 hours or however long and you think back, you kind of like play back the movie of your life and you had some point of conflict or tension with a loved one. If you see, if you replay that scene over again in your mind and you're a little embarrassed because you feel like you overreacted, like you just had a short fuse, a shorter fuse than normal, that your patience is waning, you're just irritable, man, that's a really good indicator that there is something deeper inside. Often what we do is we just say things like, well, I'm just tired. We apologize with things like, oh, I'm sorry I said that. I didn't mean it. I'm just tired or I just had a bad day or whatever. But the reality is that that always points to something deeper in here. So don't ignore that. If your fuse is getting shorter, if you're just way more irritable, if you just get angry way, way quicker than you typically do, then check. Spend some time in the daily office. Talk to somebody you trust. Seek counseling. Here's the thing. Counseling has received such stigma in our day and age. I see a counselor regularly, at least once a month. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that. If I did not, I would be a crazy person. I'm just going to tell you that straight up right now. I think I actually still am a crazy person. Um, and the counselor just helps me keep it under wraps. Right? It's not a bad thing. Find someone you trust. Spend time daily, multiple times a day. Set aside time to be in the Word, to pray, to read, to contemplate, to sit in silence. Here's the deal, though. I just want to say this disclaimer. Some of you are sitting here and you may, be, you may be thinking like, okay, I get it. If there's tension and conflict in my relationship, it's not about the other person. It, it, it's about me. It's got to start with me. And yes, that is our point tonight. However, there are some cir circumstances and situations where that is not true. If there has been abuse, I mean just blatant abuse in a relationship, it may be physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. If there has been abuse, if there has been a violation of your humanity, then that's not your fault. Hear me clearly on this. That is not your fault. I have friends who are, have been victims uh, of abuse, of abusive relationships, and multiple friends I have heard and uh, other friends of ours have journeyed along with them, kind of helping them get out of this broken, really destructive mindset. I've heard so many friends say, well, it's, it's my fault. If I, if I just change this, he's actually a good guy. Uh, she doesn't mean it. It's just my fault. I, if I just fix these things, the abuse will stop. And that is never true. And I'm not saying it's not true that the abuse may stop. It may. But it is never true that it is your fault. 
Because as image bearers of God, we are created in such a way that we all, no matter how broken and messed up we may be, we all are to treat one another and to be treated with respect and dignity, with grace and with love. And if that has been violated in your relationship, that is not your fault. That is not what we're saying tonight. One of my friends in the AM service reminded me of this after the service. And this is risky, but she said this to me and said, man, just pray about it and take this risk if you feel so led. And so I'm just going to say this. In this room, a room this size with this many people, there's a decent chance that not only do we have those who have been abused, we have abusers in here. Some of you have abused someone else in a relationship. If you have, here's what I want and need to say to you. You are not beyond reach. Forgiveness is available, but you must change. If you do not make the deliberate and often difficult decision to begin treating the other person with a sort of dignity respect, and love that an image bearer of God deserves to be treated, then it is going to be difficult for you in your own life to fully experience that sort of love and devotion from God himself. And it does not mean that God does not have that love and devotion to you. He does, and that will not change. But you will not experience it richly unless you let go of this broken and destructive mentality that drives you to treat another person in an abusive way. And so wherever you are, if you've been abused or if you have abused, there is hope for you. God still loves you, you still have value and worth, and there is hope for you. I would say if some of that strikes a chord with you, let us know. And again, we are not relationship professionals, but we can help get you connected to some help, some people that can help. You can talk to me or to Tony after the service. If you want to, you can write your info just on a blue card. And Tony or myself or Ryan will get in touch with you and we will get you connected and we will keep it anonymous. I promise you that. But continuing on, as we consider this reality that conflict and tension is driven not just by our situations and circumstances and by the behavior of our mate, but that it is often driven by our own crap and that that is where we must begin. The reality is that none of us are beyond hope. No point of conflict or tension in your relationship is beyond hope. There is hope. Here's the deal. If there is conflict and tension, in some ways that is a great sign. It means that your relationship is still alive, that you still care, that you are still wanting and willing to fight for something. In fact, the worst thing possible is apathy, is it not? The worst thing possible is for you to say, well, there is no conflict, there is no tension, everything's fine. 
Because we just don't care. I don't care what she does. Whatever. No, it doesn't bother me. I don't care what he does. No, I'm moving on with my life. Who cares? Whatever. It does not bother me. No, that's dangerous. But if there is conflict, if there is tension, it is because you still care. So cling to that. And what does it mean for us then out of that conflict and tension, which reminds us that there is still life and fight in us? What does it look like to do that well, to navigate through that well? The writer Parker Palmer says this, Wholeness does not mean perfection. It means embracing brokenness as an integral part of life. Knowing this gives me hope that human wholeness, mine, yours, ours, need not be a utopian dream if we can use, and I love this, if we can use devastation as a seedbed for new life. Your conflict, your tension, if you and your mate would engage the process with the sort of humility and the humble perspective, if you would both engage by saying, listen, this isn't just about you. It's not just about me pointing my finger at your behavior and the things I want you to change. I admit to you that this is about me and my junk. Can you imagine what God might do if your mate looked back at you and said, I agree, it's about me too. Man, can you imagine how many arguments and fights and conflicts would be diffused by that? Just completely covered with grace if we would both lay down our swords and say, man, we're in this together. And we both together admit that this involves all of the mess, all of the junk inside of us as much as it does our behavior toward one another. So how do we do this? How do we build this new life out of the tension? Jesus in Matthew 7, 4-5 says this, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Often we hear this, par- this story, and we think to ourselves, what that means is, mind your own business. We think that what Jesus is saying is, listen, don't judge others, don't try to fix others, just mind your own business. But the reality is, the story is different than that. Jesus actually says, listen, take the plank out of your own eye so that, so that you might see clearly to take the speck out of the eye of your brother. Listen, resolving conflict, undoing and resolving the tension, it matters. It matters. It's not just about saying, oh, we're fighting, there's conflict, oh, it's just my fault, sorry. No, you got resolution. God wants us to resolve this stuff. But it begins here. It begins by taking the plank out of our own eyes so that we might see clearly to help one another take the speck out of each other's eyes. So how do we do that in a practical sense? If the goal is to see clearly and then to navigate through conflict and tension well together with humility. A few um, suggestions. 
First, I would say, if there is conflict or tension in a relationship, begin with this understanding. Don't try to do any fixing, saving, advising, or setting each other straight. This is often what I want to do first. When Jenny and I are fighting, I'm just like, well, I've got to fix you. I've got to set you straight, girl. Right? That's what I think to myself. I don't talk like that to her. I should. It'd be awesome. Um, she'd probably like it. She'd be like, ooh. <laughs> um, sorry, that was like way too private. Um, where'd that come from? Uh, Right? That's my initial reaction. I always want to like just fix the problem or fix or save her or advise her or give her my advice, give her my counsel, my wisdom. Right? Well, yeah, there's a problem. I know how to fix it. If you would just stop talking and let me do the talking, I could fix this problem. But don't. And instead, do this. Ask honest and open questions instead of giving counsel. Parker Palmer says this, that an honest question is one that I can ask without possibly being able to say to myself, I know the right answer, and I just hope you give it to me. If at any point in the question you ask the person regarding a conflict or tension you have, if in the back of your mind you are able to say, well, I know what the right answer is, and he or she better say it, otherwise I'm going to let him know. If you can say that at any point, that is not an honest or open question. Ask honest, open questions that you cannot possibly have the answer to. Because those are the sorts of questions that put each of us in a posture of humility. In a position that says, listen, I don't have it figured out. I'm a mess too. Let's grow and learn together. I want to learn more about why this is driving you nuts. Why there is this conflict. Why there is this tension. And in asking those questions... Respond by listening receptively. Listen receptively. We so often, I so often, listen defensively. When my wife and I are arguing about something and she's giving me her response to things, I'm already in my mind thinking like, how am I going to defend this? It's like a cage fighting match, right? Just like, (laughs) right? It's like, that's what I'm mentally doing. Like, here's how I'm going to block all these things that she's saying to me. And I would say, ask honest, open questions and then just open yourself up. And sometimes it hurts. Just take the shots as they come. And trust that in the end, the goal is always that you would move forward together, even if it hurts a little bit. And then the last one, my last suggestion, offer each other the gifts of silence and laughter. Silence and laughter have this way of diffusing situations, of alleviating the tension, of giving us a moment to step away from the chaos of our argument, our conflict, to look at it with clarity, with grace. This is what silence and laughter will do. And sometimes we just don't give it enough time. Last Sunday was a crazy Sunday for us. 
Um, and some of you were here, so you heard a little bit about it. But uh, one of our box trucks, we like blew a tire. And so it was, the morning was insane. We like had to rush back. Tony had to rush back out to the to Almaden Expressway and like unload one box truck into another. All this crazy stuff. We set up for the morning, have morning service. And then Tony and I drive out to the Almaden Expressway. We pull this giant tire off the truck, this U-Haul truck tire off the truck. We take it to this shop. We had borrowed this like super heavy air jack. And then we like get the tire fixed. We bring it back and we like swap the tire. It was just madness. And then we came back and did the seven o'clock service and then tore down and loaded the box trucks. It was just madness. It was like, like such, like it was all manual labor, you know? And honestly, it wasn't that bad. I'm just a pansy, right? I was like, oh, manual labor, <laughs> whatever. You know, like it's crazy. I don't, I'm just weak. But I have a bad back, right? I have a bad back. I was in an accident a number of years ago, and so I saw a chiropractor for a long time. And so after this crazy day, I, I get home around 10.30. This is the last Sunday. I get home around 10.30 p.m., and I walk into the house, and I'm limping, Right? I'm like kind of walking like I'm 82 years old because my back is really sore. And my wife is like, what happened? And then I tell her about my day. I'm like, oh, yeah. And then Tony and I had to move this giant tire and all this stuff. And she gets so upset with me. I have permission from her to tell this story, by the way. <laughs> You're all like, can you tell me this? This seems private. She gets really upset with me. She's like, you can't be doing that. And then this thing that is like nothing turns into a full-on fight. My wife and I start fighting, and it gets so bad. At one point, she, like, forgets that I'm 34 and, like, pretends that I'm 7. And she goes, do, you not, do I need to call Ingram and tell him you can't be doing stuff like this because your back is bad? I was like, are you freaking serious right now? First of all, he doesn't care about me. <laughs> secondly, <laughs> secondly, like, oh, no, I'm not 7 years old, right? It just turns into this crazy thing. And we're just like, and at one point, we're, like, yelling at each other. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what is going on? Why are we fighting? This is insane. And then in her anger, in her frustration, my wife is just like looking at me and I'm yelling at her and she's yelling back at me. And she says this, she goes, I don't know why you're getting so upset. I just want you to watch your back. <laughs> and what she meant was, I want you to take care of your back because it's in bad shape. What it sounded like was, I'm going to stab you in your sleep. <laughs> right? And so we had this 10-minute argument, and then we stare at each other and just start cracking up laughing. <laughs> and then we had this really sane, calm conversation. We came to this agreement that I would, you know, watch myself and be careful, and she was fine, and it was okay. It was like all this tension had expanded this balloon and with laughter, the balloon just burst and the tension and conflict dissipated. And I remembered in that moment that this was not uh, some person that I was angry and frustrated with. This was the woman I fell in love with and I remembered why. And there was joy and there was hope and there was laughter and there was peace and there was fun, right? And then there was like other stuff that I can't tell you about. Now, this, I should not have said that joke because now I've just, I've lost all of you. 
at the seven o'clock, sex jokes are bad because you guys all <laughs> like, lose your minds. Everybody relax. Silence and laughter give us this space. It gives us the space necessary to remember that we are all flawed, that no one is perfect, and that when we blame one another, it is actually an indictment upon ourselves because we are in this together. So I want to close with this quote from Henry Nouwen. And whatever conflict you are going through, I hope that this will be your mantra. And then we'll spend a little bit of time in Q&A. Henry Nouwen says this, we need to forgive and be forgiven every day and every hour. That is the great work of love among the fellowship of the weak that is the human family. And so this week, would you take some time to sift through the mess inside of your own heart? Maybe it's setting aside time like the daily office to be with Jesus on a daily basis, to check in here, to pay attention to your own tension. Maybe it's just checking your fuse. Am I getting angry way quicker than I typically do? Am I losing my temper? Am I just um, irritable more than usual? And would you give the gift of silence and laughter to one another? Instead of trying to advise or fix or save each other, would you just ask honest and open questions? Listen receptively and give the gifts of silence and laughter. That is my hope and my prayer for each of us. That God might do a work in us and that he might mend whatever is broken between us and another.